0: All right, we've been talking the last couple of weeks, and I encourage you if you missed, I know we had a lot of people on vacation and so forth, which I hope you come back all refreshed and relaxed. Uh, But we've been talking about an important message. I call it a culture message, meaning that this is one of those uh, sermon series that should highlight what we are seeking to become more and more of here at Living Stones, and that's we want to be people who love giving. We want to be a generous bunch. Amen? So when people think, well, Living Stones, I hope they think a lot of things that are godly and righteous, but one of the things that I hope comes to their mind through the fragrance of our lives, going out in the community, loving people, touching people, I hope they'll think, "Well, you know what? That church is a generous church." How many would you like that said about you? Amen. I know I I would love that said about me. When you think about your identity as a believer, you want what are people going to write on your tombstone? Uh, that guy was generous, or that lady was generous, would not be such a bad thing. Amen. So let's. How do we do that? You know, we kicked it off two weeks ago. We talked about. The uh, 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 ground rules, for giving. I talked about how money matters to God, that money is actually a spiritual thing. It's not something that's just neutral. It's very spiritual. How we handle our money is very important to God. And and lastly, that God indeed wants us to prosper. Amen? Uh, That's the purpose of God in your life. Everything God touches, he blesses. God is the source of life, and everything he touches uh, is full of life, reproduces. God's not a God of lack. He's a God of more than enough, and he wants us to experience that personally in our own relationship with him, so that, we said, so that God's prosperity always has a purpose. It's, it's not about me. It's not about you at the end of the day. It's all about him. Amen? And if we can figure out and walk in faith and trust our Heavenly Father and be obedient to what he asks us to do, including giving away, you know, Gatorades on a 100-degree day, if we can do what he asks us to do, then we'll prove trustworthy stewards, and God will bless us with more. You know, I had a funny, Lauren, I had this funny image come to my mind, because um, I'm going to tell the El Salvador story just in a moment here. But when Lauren was little, of course, I wouldn't give her the keys to the car, but we were on a missions trip, and it was it, on our free day, they had this little um, uh, amusement park there that had some go-karts. Well, this amusement park was not like your standard American amusement park. In fact, there was one ride swinging all around. There was no gates around it or nothing. I mean, if you weren't paying attention, you could have been knocked into the next country, all right? The the safety requirements weren't so great. Um, And I was like, watch out, you know? And so, anyway, I decided to give Lauren the keys to a go-kart. This go-kart was a go-kart on steroids, all right? She got in that go-kart. And she just, you know, there's, you know, you push the pedal and you go. I mean, it's not, but she hit the pedal. And as that thing took off, it like laid rubber. You know, the thing was like high-tech go-kart. She takes off. And instead, I'm like, she's freaking out. And I'm like, take your foot off the pedal. Well, no, she was doing just... And this thing went around and made the first corner, and she's picking up speed, and boom, she hits those tires head on. I mean, full blown collision. I am running out there as her dad going, What in the world have I just done? I just put a go kart in the hands of my kid, who was much younger at the time. I mean, you know, finances are the same way. Why in the world would God give us great resources if we don't know how to drive a go kart? He is not going to give you a race car. If you can't drive a go-kart, are you hearing what I'm saying? So last week, we, we taught on what uh, Randy Alcorn calls the training wheels of generosity, the tithe. And if you were here last week, you're like, oh, I came and they talked about tithing. Um, no, 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 we talked about generosity because you cannot move into generosity until you give back to God what is His. We brought out the point last Sunday, it's not generous to return your neighbor's tool that you borrowed. That's not generosity. That's called integrity. Now, when you return the neighbor's tool with a few extra tools you decide to bless them with, that's called generosity. But you don't return the neighbor's tool and consider yourself a generous person. No, you're just a steward. You're just bringing back what they loaned you. And Pastor Kevin gave such a great illustration, did he not, of being loaned this amazingly million-dollar home that his family could live in, but they were just hanging out. It wasn't theirs. And as soon as the owner asked for it back, it would have been silly for them to demand that somehow that transformed into their property, all right? It wasn't their property. So everything that we have comes from the Lord. We establish that. And until we learn to trust God, to give him back to steward, to manage 90% Ninety percent of the one hundred percent that he has given to us, we we have just taken the training wheels. We, you know, we just take the baby steps of what it means to be generous. And so, this is something I want you to think about. If we already have clearly established the fact that God is not broken, anybody say Amen? You know what, if my personal disobedience, my robbing God, my not being a good steward, my, that does not cause God to miss some payments or the whole kingdom shaking under the weight of, of my disobedience. Can, it, can we all just re, you know, relax? That's going to be good. All right? Good news. But here's the deal. If God doesn't need the resources, which he doesn't, then why does he spend so much time talking about money and how we handle it? Maybe there's something he's trying to keep us from. Maybe there's some dangers he's trying to keep us out of. Maybe there's some treacherous ground that God's trying to save us from walking in or a cliff he's trying to keep us from going off. In fact, I want to talk to you this morning about the guardrails, what I'm calling the guardrails of generosity. Generosity actually acts as a guardrail in our lives to keep us from danger. Now open up your Bibles with me. Or you can follow along on the screen, but I really prefer that you bring something to read the scriptures with yourself, that you can interact with them, circle them, underline them, whatever. But I want to read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 7. 1 Timothy 6, and we're going to begin in verse 7. It says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, the Bible says, let us be content." Look at verse 9. But people who long to be rich, they're lustful, they're greedy after riches, they fall into temptation. And the Bible says that because of these uh, heart desires, lust in their heart, they're tempted, and it says that they're trapped by foolish and harmful desires. And look what happens next. This is really serious. These desires plunge them into ruin and destruction. I mean, a ruin and destruction should wake us all up this morning because we're not talking about something light. We're not talking about a pothole along the road of life. We're talking about getting off the road and ending up being destroyed. That's, that should get our attention. For the love of money, not money itself, but the love of it, is the root of all kinds of evil. As some people, uh, and some people craving money, the Bible says, wandered off from the true faith and they pierced themselves with many sorrows. But look at verse 11. I'm going to personalize this for our Living Stones family. But you, Living Stones, are men and women of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. And look it down, jump down a few verses to verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need. Check this out. For our enjoyment. God is not a cosmic killjoy. God is concerned that we go through this life and we enjoy it. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And look at verse 19. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience, I love this, true life. True life. Life to the fullest, as Pastor Dick reminded us of. Let's talk about guardrails for a moment. I have a keen appreciation for guardrails in my own life because I remember back in the day when we were running around El Salvador, Uh, El Salvador, if you've never been down there, is a nation that's full of uh, volcanoes, all right? They have a lot of uh, active volcanoes, lots of hills, and we were traveling, and if you've ever been to a nation like that, usually the public transportation is not the greatest. Uh, Sometimes I remember being on buses where you could actually see the ground moving underneath you. You had to make sure where you stepped that your foot didn't go through the floor of the vehicle, Uh, and that was one of those buses that we were traveling on with our entire team, on the winding roads of El Salvador, making our way to the next ministry stop. As we were driving on this gravel road, making our way up the, the hilly terrain, I noticed a couple of things. First of all, that we were not at home in the United States of America. Um, there were not like extra space on the side of the road. Any of you have been on roads like that? This was a road where you could look over the side and realize how high you were and how rocky it was down there and how dangerous it would be if you got too close to the edge. So as we're making our way up the curve, our bus driver goes to shift and he misses the shift. And I notice we're no longer moving upwards, we're moving backwards. Now, you know, that's not a good feeling with a busload of teenagers in your care and realizing the bus driver's a little nervous at this point because we're moving downhill and there are no guardrails. There's nothing to keep you on the road. And praise God, I, I, you know, I know when we get to heaven, the Lord's going to open our eyes and we'll hear the rest of the story as they say, But I know there were some serious angels doing one of these numbers because if he would not have got it in gear when he did, we were going to slide right off the edge. And God only knows what would have happened. But I know that the Lord was watching over us and protecting us. But I'll tell you, I had a keen appreciation for guardrails at that moment because I I knew that that we had just made it through a tremendously dangerous situation that could have caused a lot of destruction uh, and death for our team. Guardrails are important. Now, here's what I want us to talk about this morning. God has established generosity... As a form of a guardrail to keep us from getting off the road, falling off the road, driving off the road, or sometimes the guardrails separate the other side of the road. We've always seen people that have fallen asleep or whatever, they end up in the head on traffic and causing damage to somebody else. So, a guardrail is meant to protect you and it's meant to protect other people around you or other people that you love from danger. So, how does generosity serve as a guardrail? Well, let's take a look at this passage because I want to highlight. Three deadly sins that are all money-related. Now, I shared this last week. None of us should ever be offended about coming to church and hearing teaching about money. Let me tell you why. There are three things we're going to highlight this morning that are not potholes. They're things that could kill you. Let me just say that again. There are three money-associated sins that can kill you. Is anybody interested in finding out what those might be? When I talk about killing you, I'm not just talking about this life. I'm talking about eternity. How we handle money, as we said in week one, matters to God. He talks a lot about it. And how we handle money is not this separate little compartment. It is actually a part of discipleship. What I'm telling you is if you are at a church that cares about your soul, they will talk about money. If they don't care about your soul, they'll just avoid it. But I'm telling you, money is associated to behavior that can kill you and damn you. And so we should talk about it, and we should be very, very alert to what these dangers are. So let's talk about the first one. The first sin we've got to avoid is the danger of pride. Look at what it says in verse 17 in our text this morning. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. Isn't it interesting that money... And arrogance often go hand in hand. Not always, but many times money and arrogance or pride go hand in hand. Have you noticed that folks that have a lot of money are usually the powerful and the prestigious? Uh, They go to the wealthiest restaurants, live in the wealthiest neighborhoods. Uh, They've got it made, of course, in the world's eyes, at least that's how we look at them. Uh, But many times, it's the possession of resources that causes one to be puffed up with pride. If you go through the scriptures, and I'm just going to give you a taste of it this morning, but if you go through scriptures, you will find God speaking about this issue dozens and dozens of times. Let me just give you a sampling. Take a look at Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 28, verses 4 and 5. He's prophesying under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to the prince of Tyre, and he says this, he says, by your great wisdom and by your trade, you have increased your riches and power. And look at the result of an increase in riches and power. Your heart is proud and arrogant because of your wealth. Look at what the prophet Hosea says in verse, or chapter 13, verse 6. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and you forgot me, God says. Look at Psalm 49, verse 6. They trust in their wealth, and they boast of their great riches. And finally, look at Psalm 52, verse 7. Look what happens, the Lord says, to the mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust in their wealth instead, and they grow more and more bold in their wickedness. Isn't it amazing? God does not have a problem loving rich people, but rich people have a problem loving him. Have you ever been in a situation in your own life when, you, when everything's going great, your health is good, your job is good, the bills are paid, in fact, you might even have a surplus? Isn't it interesting that when you're on the mountaintop and everything's comfortable and you're living in pleasure, many times your heart can be the most deceitful and hard to corral in times of great blessing than in times of great need? Let me just tell you, you'll never find the churches being flooded with people when the economy's booming. You know why? We got, too, we, got, we got stuff. We got money. We got stuff. We got money to spend on ourselves. We got time to entertain ourselves. We're busy. We don't have time to worship the Lord. We don't have time to be committed on Sunday morning. We have too much to do, too much stuff to take care of. But guess what happens in a time of economic downturn? when your money disappeared. Guess what happens to the Lord's house? People start turning back to God because all of a sudden there's a sense of desperation. Am I talking to the right audience? Or I've seen this, I've seen people came in here with, didn't have two nickels to rub together, and they didn't have a place to live, and they say, can you give us some help? And yes, we can help you, and start teaching them the principles of the Word of God. Maybe they repent for their wickedness, or stubbornness, or their sin that they've been involved in, and they say, God, I need to turn my heart back to you. And they turn their heart back to God, and God is a gracious and merciful, forgiving God. He's rich in mercy, and he begins to help them get back on their feet. And they get back on their feet. And they're right out the door. Happens over and over again. Watch that your prosperity does not lead you away from the source of your prosperity. Because the God that gave you that God can bless you by taking the job away. Did you hear what I just said? He can bless you. He can bless you by taking the job away. Because you know what's more important to God? You are. You're more important to God than your stuff and you're more important to God than your blessing. Listen, if pride becomes a stumbling block that keeps you from depending on God, and honoring God, and recognizing God, then why in the world would God give you the very thing that will lead to your destruction? Does this make sense even from a parental perspective? Now hear me, God's not wanting us to be broke as as a joke and never have enough. That's not God's will for your life. But let me tell you what else is not God's will for your life. For you to sit back and think that you are a self-made man or woman and that your prosperity is due to your hard work, wisdom, uh, ingenuity, and the, the awesome person that you just happen to be. How many? Of you, I'm going to wind the tape back. This is how you came into the world. You were totally naked. You had a cord attached to your belly button. that was attached to your mama who carried you for nine months. Don't ever forget it. You came out with a cheesy cottage cheese-like substance all over your body. Your head was misshapen, and you were a little on the blue side. You were not all that important or all that good-looking, and you had nothing to offer the world, and you came out letting out a scream. Do you remember those days? (laughs) You didn't have any money. You were completely dependent upon everything. In fact, if the doctor hadn't slapped your behind, you wouldn't even be breathing right now, all right? You had to be fed by somebody. You had to have your bottom cleaned and changed by somebody. You had to have someone dress you. You had to have someone care for your every need. And that was for most of your early life. You were pathetic. All you could do was this. And boy, you did it well. All right, But now you grow up and you get a job and you get an education and, and you're making money and you are the man. Have you forgotten where you came from? You've forgotten where you came from. Oh, but I'm so gifted in this. Why are you gifted in that? Let me, re- let me help you. God. Why do you have the strength that you do and the health that you do to do what you do? God. Who opened that door of opportunity for you? God. Who gave you the raise? God. Who prospered you? God. Who gave you the witty idea? God. If it wasn't for God, you'd be nothing. But man, you got, you got a few bucks and... Yeah, you're counting your money, and you have to go to the bank so often to keep depositing that money. And, and all of a sudden, you get money, and you think you're something. Come on. Come on. This does not define you. This is not the measure of who you are. In fact, God reminds us, this is, this is absolutely shocking. God says, you came into this world with nothing, and you're leaving this world with Nothing. And yet we worry about this stuff, do we not? We make it the center of our focus. Oh my gosh, will I have enough? If only this, if only that. We spend all of our time focusing on stuff and you're not taking any of it with you. Kind of silly, isn't it? And worse, it creates this false sense of immunity that you got everything that you need and pride just gets so big. Ah where would we be without the Lord? What would we have apart from God? Let's, how about this? Can we just stay low? Can we stay dependent? Can we stay grateful? Can we stay thankful upon God? Because I'm telling you, pride will keep you out of the kingdom of God. What's the second danger? Let's talk about greed for a moment. Ugh, greed and pride, the ugly twins, all right? Greed and pride. Look at verse 7. After all, we brought nothing with us, and when we came into this world, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if you have food, you got some clothes, hey, be content, the Bible says. Look at verse 9. But people who long to be rich, that's that inner yearning, man, I'm going to set this goal, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30, I'm going to do whatever it takes, I'm going to work my tail off, I'm going to make my business, you know I'm going to invest in my business so I can be wealthy and I can have all this money. Look what the Bible says, you're going to fall into temptation, you're going to be trapped by these foolish and harmful desires, and it's going to lead you to ruin and destruction. For the love of money, pursuing money, living for money, making money the center of your affections, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, the Bible says, craving money, have wandered, we talked about that, wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves, the Bible says, with many sorrows. That's why look at the next verse, Luke 12, 15, on the screen. Jesus says, watch out! And notice there's an exclamation point. I want you to feel the force of this. If I'm standing before you and I say, watch out! You'd be like, what, what? You'd be ducking. And I've been at baseball diamonds all week, and people have been saying, watch out! Foul ball! Everybody's freaking out and doing this. Jesus just said, watch out! You should be ducking. What, what, what? Listen to what he says. If I can find it. There we are. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his stuff, his possessions. Your money that buys your stuff is not the center of who you are or why you're here. Look at what the next verse says, Ecclesiastes five ten. This is the wealthiest man that's ever lived, wealthier than Bill Gates or anybody on the planet right now. King Solomon, whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And this was his conclusion. This, too, is meaningless. Last verse I'll read here, Proverbs 15, 27. Greed brings grief, the Bible says, to the whole family. How many of you know a greedy person is constantly focusing on stuff and not focusing on People. A greedy person is always after the next paycheck, the next thing your money can buy, and you're not focusing on what's truly important, which is people with eternal souls and destinations. I'm not talking about not enjoying stuff, but isn't it interesting that most of us live in this situation where we're, we're saying, If only. If only, if only I had an extra $500 a week, if only, and you're constantly living, pursuing the American dream, whatever that looks like, the next size house, the next best car, whatever the the next best thing is, the next play toy you can buy to entertain yourself, and hear me, I'm not against any of those things. There's nothing the matter with a nice house, there's nothing the matter, I don't care what car you drove here in, praise the Lord, God bless you with whatever car you got. And I don't care about what play toys you have to enjoy yourself. Uh, again, God's, God doesn't have us here uh, uh, to be miserable. He has us here to enjoy this life. But how many of you know the focus can get so out of whack and so subtle to where all we're thinking about is greedy? Uh, it, it's, it, this is what the greedy person says, because you don't have to be rich in this room to be greedy. A poor person, the poorest person in this room can be absolutely greedy, because this is what the greedy person says, I can't let go of that. It might be the last dollar you have. I can't let go of that. Isn't it amazing? This wasn't in the notes, but this is this is the truth. We're going to get to this. When there was a famine in the land, the prophet of God went to the widow who was going to feed herself and her child the last food that they had to eat. Y'all remember that story? And what did the prophet ask her for? The food. Now the prophet was the word, the God, God's God's representative in the earth. So picture it wasn't that he was asking for the stuff, he was. But he was asking on behalf of God Almighty. He represented God in the earth. That's what the Old Testament prophets did. So the prophet, God, goes to the person who has this last little bit of food. There's famine, and she's so weak from hunger, she's she's basically starving to death and she's going to die. And this is all she has to eat. And God says, I'll take that. Thank you. How unthoughtful of God to do that! That wasn't nice. Everyone in this room, if I, as a man of God, went up to a, a, a widow with a small child and I said, you know what? I need to eat what you just prepared for yourselves. Feed it to me. You'd be saying, that's not a man of God. Tuna fish? Tuna fish? I'll take it. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? You'd be saying, that's not God. That's being selfish. But look what, he, look what God was doing. He was saying, are you willing? You're going to die anyway, right? If nothing happens, you're, de- you're as good as dead. Will you give me the last of what you have? And what did the woman do? She, did she gave it to the man of God. And what happened in her circumstances? God entered. Amen. Something supernatural happened. Remember in the one account, he said, get all the pots that you have. She just had a tiny little bit of oil. He said, get all the pots that you have. Why? Why? I'm going to begin to multiply the oil, and you'll be able to sell it. And you'll not only have enough for you, you'll have enough to, to, to buy and sell, and you'll have enough for other people. But she had to give her last before she got anything supernatural happening in her life. If she would, if she would have said, no, this is for me and my son, she'd be dead. End of story. So see, it, uh, greed is not something just associated with having a lot of stuff. Some of you in this room that are suffering right now, you're struggling. It might be perhaps that you've allowed greed to creep in your heart, and you're holding on to what you got white-knuckled, and you won't let it go. And God's saying, why don't you start blessing other people? Why don't you find somebody that's hurting more than you, and why don't you let it go? And watch what God begins to do. See, greed is an equal opportunity employer. Greed can be in the richest people. Greed can be in the poorest people. I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, Jesus warns people far more about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks he's guilty of it. If I said, how many of you are greedy and you've struggled with greed all your life, raise your hand. <laughs> are you kidding me? You'd be looking at me like, what? Not me. Not me. Am I telling the truth? No one wants to say, yeah, I'm a greedy person. I, I admit, I'm a greedy person. But Jesus talks about greed more than he talks about sexual immorality. Now, that would be another thing. If I said, how many of you are struggling with lust or whatever, the altars would be full, right? We don't have a problem saying, oh, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, but God forbid you call me greedy. I'm just messing with you. Let's talk about the third danger here. It's the danger of idolatry. Idolatry is simply worshiping or serving anything other than the one true God. And have you figured out that pride and idolatry go hand in hand? And When anything in our lives turns us from the Lord to where we begin to look to it for whatever it is that we need, instead of looking to God and trusting God, that's when we get into idolatry. Every material thing that we possess, I don't care what it is, your car, your house, your refrigerator, your pocket knife, your Gatorade, all right? Whatever material thing you have is either a tool or an idol. Think about this for a minute. It's either a tool in the hands of Almighty God to serve his kingdom or it's something that you're holding on to white knuckled and you don't want to let go of. It doesn't matter what it is. Have you seen kids when you're trying to teach your kids? Isn't this amazing? You're trying to teach your kids generosity. What's the first word they learn? It ain't mama and it ain't daddy. It's mine. I'm telling the truth. Dada. Mama. Mine. Isn't it amazing? Amazing and you have to spend most of their elementary school years saying stop it who cares if your sister wears your shirt bless her with your shirt am i are you guys raising the same that's mine that's mine i mean we've had some we've had civil war break out in our home <laughs> or you're out at the restaurant that gives the refills they give refills they give free soda pop refills and one kid grabs the other kid's pop <sniffs> You know, ice goes flying and pop everywhere. And I'm like, you're acting like an animal. See that machine over there? You push the lever, pop comes out. I've never seen it run out. If it runs out, they put a new canister. Why are you killing your sibling over Dr. Pepper? Mine. But guess what? We were all that way once, were we? It's taken us most of our life to figure out that God is not a God of scarcity. God is a God of superabundance. Do we really believe this? He's a God of superabundance. He is not a God of scarcity, which means he can replace what you have if you sanctify it and you put it in his hands. In fact, he always brings it back with interest. Look at what the Bible says in verse 17 in our text today. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. And here's where we get into idolatry. Not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need. Check this out for our enjoyment. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. Why have faith in God when you can have faith in yourself, right? Why trust God when you can have all of your needs met? Now, let me mess with you here this morning. If your goal in life is financial independence, you may be an idolater. I'm going to mess with you just a little bit. But pastor, are you saying we shouldn't plan for the future? Nope, not at all. You should plan for the future. Are you saying, Pastor, we shouldn't have something set aside for retirement? No, probably a great idea to have something set aside for retirement. But how many of you know most financial planners want to help you become financially independent? Independent of who? Here's what I notice in human nature. If you got a nice, big, fat retirement and you got your 501Ks all maxed out, and you got some rainy day funds, and you got more than enough right now, and you're in good health, but hey, you got health insurance too, and you got life insurance, and you got disability coverage, and and you got all your bases absolutely covered. And then you sit back, and you go, yeah, I'm in a really good spot. But what generally happens when you don't have to rely on God for something in your life? What is happening usually to your spiritual life? You start drifting from God. I had a chance early in my life to pursue a different calling, and I was with my lovely wife, and we were talking about this was right after we were newly newly married, and. Um, you know, we both had a passion for God. We wanted to make our lives count for him. And, and I was thinking, do I take this opportunity or do I go this opportunity? Lord, show us. And I look over at Mary and, and she's crying. How many of you guys know when your lady's crying? Problem. What was it? Something I said? Was I insensitive? Is it your, is it your birthday today and I missed it? You know, what, am I, what did I do wrong? And I said, what's up, honey? And this is what she said. She said, I have never seen a person that was wealthy, that had a passion for Jesus. Think about it. Now, I'm not saying that they don't exist, but I'm saying in her life, she had never seen with her own eyes a wealthy person on fire for Jesus. You know why? Because wealth has the tendency to be consuming if we don't use it right. Wealth has a tendency to make us prideful. Wealth has a tendency to make us want more of it. Wealth has a tendency to make us trust what we've got in the bank instead of trusting the God who has the future. Now, let me tell you something. And Marion and I, you know, I, I believe in budgets. You all believe in budgets? All right. And when we had eight kids, our budget blew out the window. Because you know why? To budget, you have to know all the variables. With each child, it became a... Highly complicated math problem that was beyond my ability to plan it. So the budget went out the window, and we just started living really frugally. We gave it to the Lord, we honored, we always honored God, and then we just make sure we live frugally because I could, I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have the math mind to figure out how to budget for ten of us and all the unexpected. But here's where we're at now. Our variables are settling down to some degree, and I told Marion we're going to go back and we're going to get an accurate picture of what we need to live. We're going to get an accurate picture. And then we're going to believe God for more. But we're believing God for more, not for me, but so that I can resource kingdom things with it. This makes sense. So the goal in life is not to take your income and assume that it's for you. It's to figure out what you need to live. And I'm not talking about austerity. I'm not talking about, hey, one pair of clothes, that's all we need. One pair of shoes, kids, that's all we need. One carrot, that's all. No, I'm not talking about poverty. I'm just saying, what do we need to live? And then we believe God that when he blesses us above that, guess what? There might be some source, some opportunity he would give me to invest. Is this making sense? Now, why would we do that? to make sure that what he's blessing us with does not become a stumbling block so that I just drove off the cliff because I misshifted and I'm dead and my family's dead. And I become an idolater in my heart because I'm trusting my stuff more than I'm trusting God. Here's my point. If you are a wealthy person, God may ask you to give more so that you still keep depending on him like the poor person has to depend on him. Have any of you had to believe God for something in your life that wasn't there and a deadline was coming and you had to believe God? Anybody besides me? And I did the right thing. I obeyed God. I'm living before Him. I'm spending time in the Word. How many of you know God speaks to you like crazy when you're desperate? You're reading through the Bible, and, like, the verses are jumping out at you, and you're like, "Woo!" and you're having this revival on the inside, and you got to believe God and because you're obedient. Maybe it was the tithe you gave that money. And you're like, oh, God, how am I going to make ends meet? And, man, your prayer life went up. You know, man, you're in church that Sunday. You're worshiping. Jesus, you better show up. All right, I mean, that's, like, the source of your worship. And guess what? God shows up. And you're like, woo! and you're on fire, and then you get promoted, and then you get money, and then where are you? Where are you? You used to be right in the center, pursuing God, living on the edge, trusting him, and then God blessed you. And now you're just trying to keep all your accounts in order and make sure you got everything counted and you you don't want to lose anything. You want to make good investments and you got all this stuff you bought now and you all have to take care of all that stuff, right? You don't have any time. You don't have time. You don't have time for God. You don't have time for people. Remember the guy in the Bible? He he got blessed. God blessed his crops and he said, I'm going to build a bigger barn. And that very night, dead. God said to him, you fool, I didn't bless you to build a bigger barn, maybe I blessed you because there's people that are hungry that could have used that. Why didn't you seek me? You just thought it was all for you. You became a silo unto yourself instead of a conduit, a life-giving river to bless other people. See, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're low class, middle class, upper class. The goal is this. God is trying to keep you dependent upon him for everything, trusting him, believing him. And many times a wealthy person, God will ask you to give more because you're like, oh my goodness, are you serious, Lord? Yes, because he wants you to trust him just like the person with no retirement plan. And the reason he's going to do that to you, hear me, is because he loves you. He would rather your wallet be lighter than lose you. Hmm. God's pretty smart in this stuff, isn't he? So don't make your goal financial independence. Make your goal to always be financial dependence. Y'all hear what I just said? Man, God, I need you every moment of every day. God, I need you. God, I need you. Let's talk in closing here, just a couple minutes. What are the guardrails? How does generosity become a guardrail for us? Verse 11, Timothy, I'll say this, you living stones, you are men and women of God. So run from all these evil things, greed, idolatry, pride, run from these things and pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Drop down to verse 18. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with other people. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. What? How is generosity a guardrail? Because God wants us to be rich towards Him. How are we rich towards Him? Three things. Be rich in good deeds. Look for opportunities this week just to bless people. We had an opportunity. We went out with Marion's folks on Saturday. We had some breakfast at their regular stomping ground. And, um, uh, you know, when you go to a place on a regular basis, you actually get to know the people working there. And they were like rock stars in this place. A lady came up, you know, hey, you want the regular? How many know you've arrived when that's what they say? You want the regular? Um, I was like, wow, I can only aspire to that. That is awesome. And, uh, and before you know it, this lady, because of relationships, she's sharing her heart. What a horrible week she had. She said, I said, we're getting ready to pray. Can we pray for you for anything? Yeah. She said, I've got, been having vertigo. Hey, we're going to pray right now. We prayed for her. We got to the end. And how I many of you know the best way to top off a, a great kingdom conversation is with some dough? I just got to mess with you. Don't you ever witness to somebody get up from the restaurant and leave a track with living stones on it and not a tip. Please, never do that. Leave a whopper. Leave something that gets their attention. So we left her a significant tip, and we handed it to her, and we said, Look, we love you. We want you to know God hasn't forgotten about you. He loves you, and you need a church family of people that can surround you during difficult times, and they can love you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. And out we went, all right? We left the fragrance of the kingdom. We left a generous heart. We prayed for her. We cared for her needs. This is easy. This isn't rocket science. This is a lifestyle of loving people. Amen? That's what God calls us to. Be rich in generosity. And let me end with this. Be rich in your perspective, meaning eternity is closing in. The Bible says this life is a vapor. And God already gave us a secret. You're not taking a thing with you. Nothing. Wouldn't it be great if we could take what we have and somehow sanctify it so that it got translated to the next life where we're going to spend eternity? Wouldn't that be cool? If we could have this magic machine that if we took money here on earth and we did something cool, kingdom with it, God would take it, multiply it, and send it ahead for us. Wouldn't that be awesome if that could happen? Guess what? It does happen. It's not a magic machine. God says, if you will invest in what I'm doing, I will send it ahead where there's no moss and there's no rust to eat it up. And he says, you're going to have it on the next side to enjoy forever. That's a good deal, is it not? So here's the question to ask. What is it in light of the great day? How am I going to sanctify what God has given me so that it's transferred ahead as reward in the next life? How many of you know I've said this before? God is not a communist. When you get to heaven, you don't all get the same white gown. Here's your keys to the same cubicle, same furniture, and here's your reward. Everybody gets a, you know, a chicken leg and a biscuit. All right, there you go. Yay, we all made it. Nope, not going to be the case. You get in by the grace of God. Your reward comes from what you have done with what you've been given. What you do with what you have matters to God. And God wants us to make sure we're sending it ahead. I'm trying to help you out here. I got one last verse. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is awesome. Proverbs 11:4. Riches will not help you on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. Hallelujah. God is not going to be impressed at all by your portfolio this side of eternity unless it's a kingdom portfolio. Money never impresses somebody who is infinite wealth. God will not be impressed, but what he will be impressed with is what we've allowed Christ to do in and through us. Amen? So here, I want to make something really clear. Pastor, are you saying that none of us, you're not for any of us being so blessed that we're actually wealthy? No, that's not what I'm saying. But how many of you know, if we can handle the little that we've been given, God can give us more. Here's my prayer for all of you, that we would be the most incredible stewards and most generous people with what God's given to us, so that He could run so much through us that we wouldn't know what to do with it. And you'd have more than enough for you, more than enough for your family, more than enough to bless other people. But how many know life is a test? This very moment is a test. This very Sunday morning is a test. We're going to give right now. This is a test. This is a test of the kingdom broadcasting system, all right? Right here and right now. What's it a test of? What's going on inside here? Are you prideful? Are you greedy? Are you an idolater? Are you depending on other things more than you are God? This is a test. Every week we have a test because giving is an act of worship. It's an act that says, God, you're my God, you're my source, you're my king. I trust you. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. I'm giving you a heads up. Next week we are going to have a kingdom consecration service. God laid this on my heart before we got started with week one. This is what he said to do, and I was talking with my son, Joel, about some of you own your own businesses in here, all right? How many of you know it's really wise to take the business and make God the CEO, and you work for him, instead of you running the business and asking God to work for you? This makes sense. So if you own a business, we're going to give you a chance to, to, in a very official, maybe you've done it before, but in a fresh way to say, God, my business is really your business, Work through it to accomplish your purposes. How I many of you know God wants to bless what's His? I'm gonna say that again. God wants to bless what's His. He's not so crazy about blessing what's yours, but He really loves to bless what's His. Some of you are saying, Well, Pastor, I don't own a business, I, but I work for a business. Great. I want you to consecrate yourself as a steward. In whatever field you're in, I was talking with a brother this morning. He says, I hate what I'm doing at work. It provides good, but I feel like I'm just stuck in literally a a symbolic cubicle. I love it when I'm out of work. I hate it when I'm in work. Well, I told him, let's consecrate your cubicle. Let's take you and your cubicle and consecrate it to God. Guess what? God can bust you out of a cubicle. God can promote you or God can cause you to find contentment and blessing like you've never experienced in the cubicle. But the bottom line is, I'm God's, this cubicle's God's, I'm a steward, and Lord, I want you to release blessing and prosperity through me as I express generosity. This makes sense. So if you're a young child and your life is all ahead of you, guess what? You get a chance as a young person to say, God, my life is yours. I belong to you. Use me for your glory. I don't even know what I'm going to do with my life, but I give my life to you. We're going to take what maybe previously was ours, and we're going to Give it to God and be consecrated. Make it holy so that God can bless us abundantly. Now, let me, I have to give you one word of praise. Last Sunday, normal Sunday, we talked about tithing. Some, that's a message some people are like, Egh. it was a great message, though. It was a message on how to get blessed. And I just want to tell you, probably in the last decade, we have not had an offering that was not a special offering, just a normal, everyday offering. We have not had an offering that big and and probably 10 years or maybe longer. Now that's awesome. I say that because that's cuz cuz listen. Listen, cuz it is absolutely a spiritual thing. It's a discipleship issue. So as your pastor, I'm cheering not cuz I got money. Money's just mo- I say money. It's not my money. It's the Lord's money. It's not money. But it's obedience. It's generosity because here's what's going to happen. Those resources will be used to bless others, to bless what God's doing here, to release more ministry, and to bless you. So when I see that, I'm going, hey, they heard the word, they obeyed the word, here's the proof, all right? So I want to encourage you all. Many of you jumped in last week, you said, you know what, I'm going to honor God. I am going to trust God to be my source, and we will return to the Lord the tenth that's his. Some of you did that for the first time. Yay, tell me. I want to hear the stories of what God's doing to take care of you, and to bless you, because God loves to show off like that. He wants to be a daddy to you. We want to hear the stories, just like we had this week, generosity. This week, choose to go out somewhere and just bless somebody for no, no apparent reason. Just bless them. In Jesus' name, just bless them, and watch how God begins to turn this into a lifestyle where he can do amazing things in and through us, all right? Let's pray right now. And then we're going to worship the Lord in our giving, and then I want you to hop to your feet, and we're going to worship our way out of here uh, as we head on out, all right? Father, thank you for exposing us to some deadly things. God, deliver us from pride. Deliver us from greed. Deliver us, God, from idolatry and trusting other things more than we trust you. Father, forgive us. We just stand in 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 identification with the entire congregation. God, forgive us for wherever those things have crept into our heart. And Lord, we know the antidote and cure is to bless and to give and to release and not to hoard. So Jesus, we ask you to keep transforming us. Make us into generous people that reflect your great generous heart. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.